Amen. And uh, I think we can safely say that it is only a believer who could give a testimony like that. Because who else would? You couldn't, could you? To even suggest that you want to have those times back, Pam. What a tremendous thought, and yet there it is. And, and uh, Pam was right to say that, you know, twinkle of an eye, things change. And uh, our lives can be altered. Now, if you've got your Bibles with me, uh, and you're able to turn to uh, 1 John chapter 4, we'll just read the first 11 verses, if we may, of 1 John chapter 4. Now, 1 John is uh, the letter... Um, the epistle that we're studying on Thursdays, and I would just remind you, if you'd like to come and join us here in the church basement at 7 o'clock, you're very, very welcome to, as Randy had said, each study stands in its own, and this week we move into chapter 3, the chapter before the words that we're reading today, uh, this evening, and uh, the title that we've given to that section is The Pretenders, so we need to uh, look at uh, um, um, what's contained there, so come along, please. So chapter 4, verse 1 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world. Therefore, they speak as of the world and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. But this we know, the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God. For God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Uh, Tremendous words of Scripture. Uh, Not just tremendous because they give great encouragement to us, but tremendous because they challenge us, don't they? They challenge us in a world which knows nothing of the love of God. It challenges us in a world where people talk about love all the time, but they don't know the love of God. And that's what we need to talk about this evening very, very briefly. John uses three expressions to help us understand the nature of God. 
Uh, we've looked at one of them in just those few moments. Uh, the others that he talks of is when he says that God is spirit. John 1, verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 24. God is not flesh and blood. Jesus has a glorified body. And one day our bodies will be like his. This gives us great encouragement. This tells us a great deal about God and about his love to us. The second point that John makes, or the point that we bring out this evening, is found in 1 John 1 this time, verse 5. When John talks about the fact that God is light, and I'm stood underneath a very bright light. Don't look up because I now can't see anything if you do that for a section. But the light that we have here is nothing compared to the light of God, a light that can penetrate into a dark world, into the darkest heart, and flood it with light. A person, perhaps, who, naturally speaking, would have no inclination whatsoever toward the things of God, and yet when the light of God's love floods into their hearts, floods into ours, and some of us can relate to this, then we see who we are. We see our sin. We see God. And of course, God is light refers to God's holiness, to his holy nature. Darkness, of course, is that we think of sin. And God's light comes in and pushes the darkness back. The two cannot coexist. And then we've spoken here of the fact that here in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8, God is described as love, the whole of that section. Now, it's also fair to say that the words that we have here, that God is love, are perhaps some of the most taken out of context words that people use in society today. You hear them quite often. You don't have to try very hard to understand this. People will talk about the problems in the world and they'll say, you know, what about the love of God? Or they'll talk about it from a different perspective and they'll say, well, you know, <clears throat> you can't say that because God is love. Because God is love, I can live any way I want to. Because how could a God who loves everybody ever allow me to face hell, an eternity without God? Do you remember the testimonies, those of us who were here this morning? I, I, I said this morning's service was beautiful. It was tremendously exciting. And the testimonies that, that we heard just warmed my heart. And I know so many people have come up to me and come up to those that were baptized and have said thank you for what they have heard for the testimonies that were spoken. And again, this evening we have another testimony. If anybody else wants to come and to bring a testimony of God's goodness, what God has done in your heart and life, please please do talk to Randy or myself and we would be delighted to, uh, to welcome you. But the testimonies that were spoken of this morning, I think it was Erica, and, and she said something along these lines. I was brought up in a church-going family. I was brought up to know good and bad. And yet, she also talks about the fact that there were no boundaries set in her family. She spoke about the fact that 
She didn't know God. She knew about God, but she didn't know God. She didn't know Jesus. And so because of that, she carried on living in whatever way she chose. You see, people use these words, God is love, to actually disregard God, to downplay God, and to allow themselves to walk in any direction that they choose, uh, to entertain themselves in any way that they choose, to engage in any form of sin that they choose, and they simply say, but God is love, he loves me. Why would he stop me? In that sense, they allow themselves to be taken in by Satan's deceit, that God's love gives us free range to live as we please. We use God's love as justification for our thoughts and for our actions. I remember on uh, one occasion doing some door-to-door work here in Norwich, and uh, I knocked on the door of a guy Um, And for 40 minutes, I had to listen to everything that God had failed to do in his life. His wife had left him. He'd lost his job. He'd lost his business. Yes, he went to church, he told me. But God failed him. And at the very end of this long catalyst of all the things that God had failed to do, he just said, and I can't understand, if God is a God of love, why did he let all this happen to me? Forty minutes listening to it. And I remember when I said to him at the end, I said, are you sure it was all God's fault? Do you think you could have been responsible in any way whatsoever? And he was shocked. Of course not. God's in control. It's got to be his fault, hasn't it? You see, the verses that we have read together tell us that God is love. There's no question about that. But we need to understand that this doesn't mean that love is God. And this is where the world goes horribly wrong. Because we seem to gotten into the idea of thinking that everything that comes under love and the description of love has to be from God because God is love. The fact that two people love each other does not mean that regardless of how they live their lives, that their lives for each other are necessarily holy. Although this seems to be the way that the world interprets and understands that God is love. It has accurately been stated, love does not define God, but God defines love. God is love, and God is light. Therefore, his love is a holy love. And his holiness is expressed in that love. All that God expresses All that God is. Even when God judges. And we will all be judged by God. His judgments are measured out in love 
and mercy. Now, much of what we call love in our modern society bears absolutely no resemblance whatsoever to the relationship of the holy spiritual love of God. People kid themselves into thinking this. You can perhaps drive around town and you can see signs in people's gardens that might say something like God is love. People often quote it. People often have banners that say God is love. All people are loved by God. And of course, all of this is true. But the emphasis is incorrect. We see banners in gardens at the moment that say hate has no home here. When the reality is, is that that hate does have a home for those who do not agree with others' views and opinions. It's a conditional understanding of love. God is love as become for some an excuse for doing their own thing in their own way. As if one could dignify immorality by calling it love. 1 John chapter 4 verse 10 is saying there is a false love. And this kind of love God rejects. The verse, perhaps more accurately, could be translated in this way. In this way is seen true love. You see, there is a false love. And God absolutely rejects this false love. Love that is born out of the very essence of God must be spiritual and holy because God is spirit and God is light. So how and where do we experience the true love that John is talking about here? Well, a good place, of course, is to start in Scripture or to continue in Scripture. And when we turn to Romans 5 and verse 5, for example, we read these verses. Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to you. So the Scriptures answer the question for us. True godly love is only revealed in us through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Now that explains why some of us are struggling to understand the love of God in our hearts and in our lives. Because without the Holy Spirit, we can't. Without the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, we're unable to understand the concept that God is love, that God is light. The person who is spiritually dead cannot experience the true love of God that is being spoken of by John. Now, of course, people will immediately reject that statement. Are you telling me I can't understand? Well, yes, I am, because the scriptures explain this very clearly. It also means that they're not able to express this love to each other because they do not understand it or have it in their hearts. They've nothing to give from. So this in turn means that godly love is therefore a valid test of Christian faith. Since God is love, 
and we have claimed a personal relationship with God, we must of necessity reveal his love in how we live our lives, in what we say, the things we do. You see, it comes down to birth really, doesn't it? If we're born of God, we become a child of God. And therefore we share God's divine nature. But a person who has not been born of God, who has not been born again, just cannot understand the true love of God. One John four verse eight. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Now you mustn't get me wrong, there are many people who would never call themselves Christians. There are many people who would never understand what being born again is. There's many people who would say quite clearly, Well, under your understanding of being saved, I am not saved. But these people are still able to demonstrate and show love. They have no regard for God. Perhaps they're even against God. Maybe just a cursory regard for God. But they love their families. And they make great sacrifices for their children and for their loved ones. Joe and I met a woman once who showed us a picture, a photograph of all the things that she had bought her children for Christmas. Now she needed a wide-angle lens to get everything in the photograph. It was impressive. And, and, and it, was, it, was, it was like a, a picture of Walmart or, or, or whatever that she was showing us. There were so many things in it. She wasn't on a great salary. It was a sacrifice that she had bought all these things for her children. And she simply said to Joanna, I want my kids to be happy. I want them. I want them to have the greatest Christmas ever. And she felt it was because of all the things that she had purchased for them. But she was showing love for her children. And certainly many unsaved people love their families and even sacrifice for them. And no doubt, Many of these same people have some kind of intellectual understanding of God. So what is it that is lacking? It could be, as you're here this evening, that you're actually in that category. You know about love, about caring for other people, what you think love is. You know about God, but there's something lacking in you. You're a really nice person. Everybody tells you that. You do show love to others around. You're kind, you're helpful. But still, something is lacking. What is it? Well, to paraphrase 1 John 4 verse 8, I'd say this. The person who does not have this divine kind of love has never entered into a personal, experiential knowledge of God. What he knows is in his head. But his heart is devoid. You see, what God is, 
determines what we ought to be. Have you ever thought about that? 1 John 4 verse 17 says, As he is, so are we in this world. What a great responsibility that is. For as he is, so are we in this world. You see, if we really do know God, if we have really been saved, then we will make a difference in this world. We don't believe in alien abduction, but supposing a spaceship hovered over you and zap, you disappeared. Would anybody notice? Outside perhaps your immediate family. Would the world be a poorer place without you? As he is, as Christ is, so are we in the world? Do you see it? Many people in the world say and repeat the words, God is love. But they've not been affected by the love of God. By the true love of God. A person who claims to know God and is in union with him must personally be affected by that relationship. It has to change you. As Pam said, twinkling of an eye. A Christian ought to become what God is. And God is love. How lovely are you? How loving are you? To argue otherwise is to prove that one does not really know God. Now here's the thing. Because God is love, does he just keep that to himself? You know, a secret? Of course not. So how does God show and manifest his love to us? Well, these verses explain it very clearly. God reveals his love to mankind in many ways. He does it in his creation, for example. But the verses that we have here show that the greatest expression of his love is in his son, Jesus Christ. And in particular, in the death of his son. Romans 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that verse just blows me away. What would you do for a bunch of sinners? Send your very best to deal with the problem? Your son? You see, Christ died that we might live through him, 1 John 4, 9. Christ died that we might live for him, 2 Corinthians 5.15. And Christ died that we might live with him, 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 9 to 10. You see, a sinner's desperate need is life. Why? 
because he's dead. Dead in trespasses and dead in sin, Ephesians 2.1. It's something of a paradox, isn't it, that Christ had to die that we might live. We can't understand all the details, but we do know this. Galatians 2 verse 20, he died for us. In 1 John 2 and verse 2, the death of Christ is described as a propitiation. And also here in the verses that we have in chapter 4. And you remember what that word propitiation means. It's one of those uh, old-fashioned Bible words, isn't it? And like three-quarters of the entire population in the world have no idea what it means. And I'm talking about people in church. <laughs> what does it mean? I've given you the example before, and I'll explain it again. But essentially, it means this. It means that God has done all that is needed to make it possible for you and I to be forgiven. In other words, God sent his son Jesus to take the heat for us. And if you remember my example of going to the, uh, the Royal Navy Fleet Air Arm Museum in Yeovilton in Somerset in England, they've got uh, one of the early Concords there on display. And there's a sign underneath the nose cone, great, great big long nose cone, and in big letters it says, the propitiator. What does the propitiator on a, on a supersonic jet do? It cuts through the atmosphere at supersonic speeds when everything else heats up. And the propitiator takes the heat. That's what the propitiation means. Jesus has done it for us. He takes the heat of God's wrath, which was rightly due to us. So the next time you're stuck with the word propitiation, you'll remember that example. It means that God has done all that is needed to make it possible for men and women, boys and girls, to be forgiven. Jesus has taken the heat of God's wrath against sin for us. So I remind you again that God is light and therefore he must uphold his holy law. God is love and therefore he wants to forgive sinners. He wants to save sinners. How can God forgive sinners and still be consistent with his holy nature? What's the answer? The answer is the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was at the cross that Jesus bore the punishment for sin and met the just demands of his holy law. But there, also, God reveals his love and makes it possible for men to be saved by faith. I remind you of the verse, John 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. You can believe in Jesus. You can believe everything about Jesus. But you need to believe that Jesus is your propitiation for the effect of the cross to be applicable to you. Jesus has taken the heat. 
for you. But do you believe that? Have you understood that? And now when you hear the phrase, God is love, suddenly it all makes sense. Because God loved us so much that he gave his son to deal with our problem of sin. This evening, I urge you, in the light of the testimonies that we have heard today, repent. Change your mind and run to God. Believe that Jesus Christ died for you and that his blood washes away your sin. Trust him this evening. Put your faith and belief in him. Call out to him and he will save you because he was manifested. He appeared for that very reason. Why did Jesus come into the world? He came into the world to save sinners. Are there any sinners present here this evening? He came to save you. Thank him for that. And trust him. And go out of here a saved sinner. Isn't that?